1: chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices message and data rates may apply jp morgan chase a member fdic 2024 jp morgan chase and co the most innovative companies are going further with t-mobile for business the pga of america is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with ai coaching tools and 5g connected cameras AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobilecom slash now.
2: A new True Crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, Adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation and the strange events in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts. Mary
0: Jane Kelly is hiding. A man from her troubled past has come looking for her, stalking the dark and miserable neighbourhood she calls home, asking after her in its dingy pubs, making sinister inquiries among the young women who work these streets by the docks. This middle-aged man seems determined to find Mary Jane. He tells people he is her father, whoever he really is, his presence means danger for the young woman. Hiding is familiar to Mary Jane, and she's good at it. Whenever acquaintances and companions ask her for her life story, she offers up misty half-truths. Even her friends and lovers don't really know her. The enigmatic Mary Jane holds her cards close to her chest and for good reason. She may be young, But in her 23 or so years, she's made some fearsome enemies. Perhaps the sudden presence of this unwelcome pursuer prompts her to move on, for Mary Jane soon packs her bags and heads to a new address, each move taking her closer and closer to Whitechapel and closer and closer to her murderer. I'm Hallie Rubenhold. You're listening to Bad Women, The Ripper Retold, a series about the real lives of the women killed by Jack the Ripper and how we got their stories so wrong. One side money plenty And friends toothed by the score. Then fortune smiled upon a discreet sort of party was becoming fashionable in certain rich London circles. Wealthy gentlemen would clamour to receive an invitation to a private ball held in smart function rooms in the city's affluent West End. There, 40 men would meet 40 women. The men alone would be charged an admission fee to cover the cost of the room hire, the band and the supper... To the casual observer, this gathering of gentlemen in top hats and evening dress and beautiful young women in ball gowns and jewels would have hinted at nothing untoward. In fact, as an anonymous sexual adventurer, known only as Walter, wrote in his memoirs, there was little about this type of ball that might be described as immodest or irregular, except that...
3: No introductions were needed, and men asked any woman to dance and women did not hesitate to ask
0: men to dance. However, following supper, the tone changed. The men kissed the women's shoulders as they waltzed. One or two couples would even dance a bawdy poker. The
3: dancing became romping, and concupiscence asserted itself. Suggestive talk was now the order of the night.
0: Eventually, the evening came to an end. Couples peeled off and departed in their carriages, only to continue their revels in private at the women's lodgings in the city's leafy suburbs. This was the face of high-class vice in London. Mary Jane Kelly, or a woman calling herself Mary Jane Kelly entered this demimonde of silk dresses, champagne and oysters at some point between 1883 and 1884. The luxuries of this existence may have been familiar to her, but then again, they may not. According to one version of Mary Jane's tale, she was born in the west of Ireland in around 1863. Her father took the family across the Irish Sea to settle in Wales when she was very young, She claimed to have been one of nine children. At 16, she said she'd married a coal miner, but he died a year or two later in an explosion. Such a tale would have been readily believed since mining disasters took an awful toll on Welsh pit villages. One blast in the summer of 1880 killed every single worker at the new Risca Colliery. In an instant, the shockwave claimed the lives of around 120 colliers, woodworkers and masons, even the 13-year-old boys who sat alone in the dark, opening and closing the pit's many doors. The explosion tore off the men's clothes and ripped apart the dozens of pit ponies that worked alongside them. Widowed, Mary Jane went to the city of Cardiff, where she had family she stated that she fell in with a female cousin who followed a bad life. Only then came her move to London. Sometimes, though, Mary Jane offered a variation on this origin story. She was Welsh, and her parents who had discarded her still resided at Cardiff. To confuse matters further, some of those who knew Mary Jane said that she was originally from a well-to-do family. One of her neighbours believed... She had a female relation in London who was on the stage. Mary Jane also told acquaintances that she had a two-year-old child who would have been born around 1883, when she was also supposed to have spent eight or nine months in an infirmary in Cardiff. No trace of this child has ever been found, nor is there any record of its fate. An extended stay at a publicly funded general hospital was highly unlikely at this time, So if Mary Jane did indeed spend several months in an infirmary in Cardiff, this probably would have been at a private establishment, perhaps a reformatory for fallen women, or an asylum, which would have been the appropriate recourse for a middle-class daughter who had transgressed the social norm by engaging in sex outside marriage. Mary Jane's life before her arrival in London amounts to a collection of disconnected snapshots, none of which has ever been verified. No Kellys or Mary Janes match up in censuses or parish records in Wales or in Ireland, nor has any record of her minor husband ever been found. The only conclusion that might be drawn is that the tales of Mary Jane Kelly's life, even her name, were fabrications she may have borrowed real components of her identity from someone she knew or even dreamt them up entirely herself. This phenomena was fairly common for women who practiced her profession, sex work.
4: It's so easy for people to hide and to completely reinvent themselves in this period. It's before official identity documents. It's before any kind of state
0: surveillance, really. Julia Late is an expert on the Victorian sex trade.
4: And it's incredibly easy to change your identity. People picked up names and took them
0: back off like clothes. This might be aided by a move to another town and an alteration in dress and manners. But certain features of one's history were more difficult to conceal. A higher quality of education, for instance, left an indelible mark. An individual's schooling came across not only in their ability to read and write, but in their speech, their bearing, their interests, and often in their artistic or musical accomplishments. While the poor had access only to the most basic instruction, the rising middle classes sought to distinguish themselves socially by investing in the education of their children so that their progeny might bear the stamp of respectability. According to those who knew her, this distinction seems to have made itself apparent in Mary Jane. One of her landladies in London remarked on her high level of scholarship, while also commenting that she was a capable artist. At this time, training in drawing was only given to girls at fashionable young ladies' schools, lending weight to the idea that Mary Jane hailed from a respectable, well-to-do family. More interesting still, no one who knew Mary Jane noted any regional accent, possibly as a result of elocution lessons, and those who inquired about her origins had to be told she was Welsh or Irish.
3: You would not have supposed, if you had met her on the street, that she belonged to the miserable class as she did.
0: Remarked a missionary who knew her in East London.
3: She was always neatly and decently dressed and looked quite nice and respectable.
0: Of all the holes in Mary Jane's account, none is so gaping as that which explains how or why she left Cardiff to join the sex trade in London's West End at roughly 21 years old. The sex trade was present in most parts of the metropolis, and by the early 1880s, it also began to move nearer to train stations, areas with transient populations and lodging houses. But the West End comprised the highest concentration of commercial sex in London, which was also entangled with a growing entertainment industry. London's theatre land was located here too, newly illuminated by twinkling electric lights. People from all walks would come to enjoy nightlife in the West End, making it a popular circuit for soliciting. As a newcomer, it would have proven difficult for Mary Jane to negotiate an immediate entry into the upper ranks of the sex trade without the help of personal contacts. But perhaps a friend gave Mary Jane the name of a madam because she was soon working under the auspices of a French landlady, whose boarders were offered opportunities to make the acquaintance of middle- and upper-class gentlemen. These lodgings were in the chicest part of town, which had acquired a reputation as a haven for the so-called artistic set, who indulged in sin discreetly behind shutters and dark velvet drapery. Assignations might occur by chance meeting. On one occasion, The anonymous memoirist, Walter, gained an introduction to a discreet London brothel by exchanging glances with its madam while on train. After he struck up conversation, she informed him that she was a dressmaker and employed only the prettiest girls at her place of business. Before disembarking, she handed him a card for her dress shop and invited him...
3: To call and try on her gloves...
0: Walter was certain that she drummed up a good amount of trade by approaching men in railway carriages and on public transport. Other meetings might be arranged through an exchange of letters. A very rich man would write to
4: the brothel madam. A lot of these brothels catered to what was called flagellation so what we would today call S&M. There was this real trend in England that posh Englishmen really liked flagellation, and women made quite
0: a lot of money doing it. Mary Jane would likely have had a high-class clientele. As a young woman in her 20s, with blue eyes and long, luxuriant hair, she would have found no obstacle to making a good living in the centre of town. There's a
4: range of things she could have been doing, but she definitely would have been making a fair amount
0: of money the men who sought the company of women like Mary Jane through a landlady procurus would have expected to commit to an evening of entertainment in addition to receiving sex. A client would have paid the sum of £5 up front and then taken her to dinner the following evening. Compared to the wages of the time, £5 would translate to over $3,000 today. At venues like St James's Restaurant, known as Jimmy's, or the Café de la Europe... Women and their male companions sat down to dine in smoke-filled, mirrored and palm-fronded rooms where they were tended by French and Italian waiters, who were noted for their discretion. After gorging on oysters, deviled kidneys and roast beef, all washed down with champagne, Mary Jane and her client would have travelled by hackney cab or carriage either to an equally discreet hotel or back to her own bed. Such liaisons might also involve a trip to the theatre, music hall, or races. In exchange for the pleasure of Mary Jane's company, her client would expect to be billed accordingly. The price generally involved the purchase of trinkets, as well as cash. Women also made themselves known to potential clients through public display. They would appear in the galleries of certain music halls and theatres, in addition to promenading in the streets. The Alhambra Theatre catered to every rank of woman in the sex trade. On any given night, there might be over a thousand women present. Access to the promenade, encircling the ground floor of the auditorium, cost a shilling. It cost more to get closer to the stage. But according to one visiting American author, catching the performance wasn't the prime attraction, for the space was
1: choked with men and women walking past each other, looking at the stage, drinking at the bars, chafing each other in a rough way and laughing loudly.
0: He ventured into the other sections of the theatre too, rising higher and higher, until he reached the cheapest seats far above the stage.
3: When a woman goes to the Sixpenny Gallery in the Alhambra, she is indeed lost beyond
1: all hope of rescue. I came down disgusted.
0: The Sixpenny Gallery was not for Mary Jane, who referred to herself as Marie Jeannette and accumulated numerous expensive dresses. She would have been accustomed to elegant gentlemen making her proposals and promises, buying her gloves and jewellery and spoiling her with fine food and drink. The savviest women in the sex trade understood that their youthful allure was fleeting, and that in order to capitalize on their worth, it was essential to seize every opportunity put before them. So when a mysterious gentleman offered to take Mary Jane to Paris, she agreed. Unfortunately, this visit to France would turn out to be no vacation. The Ripper Retold will be back in just a moment.
1: And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobilecom slash now. A new
2: True Crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man they headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation and the strange events in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts.
0: Victorian travelers sent their luggage on separately, So Mary Jane packed most of her expensive wardrobe into a trunk, expecting it to be forwarded to her new address in Paris. But the baggage was never sent. And perhaps its failure to arrive alerted Mary Jane to the possibility that she had been deceived. The trafficking of women between Britain and continental Europe was a lucrative enterprise, aided by the expansion of the rail and shipping networks. Just as London became a receiving hub for young women from France, Belgium and Germany to meet a domestic appetite for variety, so English girls were shipped out to brothels abroad. Those involved in international sex trafficking worked discreetly and carefully so that a woman destined for overseas trade would not guess what awaited her. It's probable that Mary Jane's French landlady had some role in sending her to Paris – and that she colluded with the mysterious gentleman to place her in a brothel fair. Whatever the scenario, she seemed certain enough that Mary Jane would have no need for her trunk of pretty gowns when she arrived at her destination, likely a state-sanctioned brothel or Maison close. Some women were duped into foreign prostitution, but others, who were already in the sex trade and looking for a change, went abroad to such establishments willingly. However, once at a maison close, a woman's own belongings might be taken away and replaced with new silk dresses and other finery, adding to an impossible debt she now owed her employer. Such ruses had been common practice in brothels for centuries and were just as likely to catch seasoned sex laborers off guard as they were to entrap the novice. They would get their room, they would get
4: their clothes, they would potentially get their ticket to Paris. But it was all money's owing, and that debt could be manipulated to be greater than what it originally was. These forms of debt bondage affected migrant people all over the world in the late 19th century, who would have to pay migration agents, pay the steamship ticket off, pay off the person who found them their job. This was a kind of exploitative system in which many, many people were caught,
0: including women who were selling sex. Life at a maison close was tightly regulated. In order to keep the streets free of the evils of prostitution, the law restricted women's movements in and out of the brothels where they worked. They were only permitted in public during certain hours. Even then, they were not allowed to congregate in groups, loiter near their doors, or even make themselves visible through their windows, which were to remain shuttered. What's more, all new recruits were expected to register with the Police de Meur, or Morality Police, and to submit to twice-weekly examinations for venereal disease. If indebtedness to a brothel was not enough to break a trafficked woman's will, the strict laws governing her personal freedom would complete the process. Once caught within the rigid jaws of a foreign maison close, a woman on her own, without friends and unable to communicate in French, would have had little hope of escape. By Mary Jane Kelly's day, the trafficking of women had become something of a cause celeb. However, only certain victims were deemed deserving of sympathy and of protection under the law. The idea that innocent women were being compelled into the sex trade and forcibly shipped overseas gripped the public imagination and was extravagantly sensationalized in the press. Adeline Tanner was in some
4: ways the original victim of trafficking in that it was her story that launched the whole thing in 1879, 1880.
0: Nineteen-year-old Adeline was a recently unemployed domestic servant when a respectably dressed man struck up a conversation with her in a railway waiting room. He plied her with drink and introduced her to a man named Edouard Roger. After a short conversation, Roger told her. He had taken a great fancy to me, that he would like to take me to Paris, and if, after seeing his grand house, I would like to be his wife, he would marry me. A more experienced young woman might possibly have sensed the direction of travel, but 19-year-old Adeline was a virgin and a sheltered one. Dazzled and intoxicated, she enthusiastically agreed. Of course, Adeline had been tricked. Roger wouldn't be her husband, but her pimp. She was not destined for Paris, but for a brothel in Brussels. Before departing England, she was issued with a false identity. Upon her arrival in Belgium, she was informed that her papers were in fact illegal, and she would be immediately arrested if she attempted to flee. Adeline eventually escaped her traffickers and spoke about her experiences as part of an investigation into this illicit trade.
4: And it's really interesting reading her testimony in which she does appear as a very innocent victim and she is being asked by a panel of men to narrate her abuse and victimization for the sake of proving that it existed. They craft her story and encourage her to craft her story as this kind of performance of ideal victimhood. Ignorance and innocence
0: and vulnerability and guilelessness and naivety. The controversial journalist W.T. Stead, whose crusading newspaper we've mentioned often in this series, published a powerful investigation into the commercial exploitation of children for sex. All those who are squeamish and all those who are prudish and
3: all those who prefer to live in a fool's paradise of imaginary innocence and purity will do well not to read the Pall Mall Gazette of Monday and the three following days."
0: This series of articles was entitled The Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon. Stead invoked hyperbolic subheadings like The Violation of Virgins and How Girls are Bought and Ruined.
3: These virgins are mostly of tender age, being too young, in fact, to understand the nature of the crime of which they are the unwilling victims. These outrages are constantly perpetrated with almost absolute impunity.
0: Stead wanted to show how young girls could be bought from their parents and dispatched to brothels, so he staged just such a transaction himself. He orchestrated
4: the purchase of a 13-year-old virgin girl named Eliza Armstrong, who he called Lily in his newspaper expose, because he was always one for heavy-handed metaphors. And he used the story of Lily or Eliza Armstrong to prove this buying and selling of young virgin girls in Britain was rife and very possible. But then for the sake of his metaphor, he insisted on having Lily, or Eliza, I should say. He insisted on having Eliza forcibly inspected for virginity. He arranged her assault in the name of protecting girls. And it's, it makes me so angry whenever I think about it.
0: When it came to light that rather than just reporting on a tragic case, Stead had actually arranged for the purchase of Eliza, rival newspapers called for his head he was found guilty of abduction and procurement and sentenced to three months in prison. Even though Lily's story was pure fabrication, Stead's articles proved incredibly popular, stirring a moral panic that British girls were being sold into so-called white slavery. But by English law, women like Mary Jane Kelly were not to be classed as victims of trafficking only women and girls who had previously been ignorant of sex could hold the identity of victim.
4: I fully believe that she was defrauded to Paris, that she ran into a very coercive, potentially even abusive situation when she arrived, and that she found it difficult to get out. This is, by any definition, what we would call trafficking. For the law to to say that it was impossible to traffic a woman who was already a prostitute rendered the law itself practically obsolete. But it also tells us, again, a great deal about who gets to be an ideal victim and who doesn't get to be a victim at all.
0: Mary Jane somehow managed to wriggle free from the snare that had been laid for her and spent no more than a fortnight in Paris. If she was well-educated, as has been suggested, she would have possessed at least a basic grasp of French, enough perhaps to communicate with an amenable client or with the police. According to French statute, any customer who suspected illegal trafficking might make an appeal to the police de Meur, who were bound by law to release any English girl detained in a brothel against her will, even if she has not paid her debt. Setbacks such as this would not have been taken lightly by the traffickers, who lost money when their so-called human parcels escaped nor would they have liked knowing a young woman was at large who could attest to their crimes. Pimps and trafficking gangs were not people with whom to trifle. They felt no compunction at removing an inconvenient witness if it helped them escape the law. Mary Jane had somehow outrun her captors in Paris, but her new life in London would be neither tranquil nor safe. The Rippery told will be back in just a moment.
5: You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JP Morgan, Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash
2: now. A new True Crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016... Adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation and the strange events in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts.
0: At first glance, the Ratcliffe Highway, close to London's docks, offered an innocent, mercantile impression. The first stretches of the street were stuffed with every shop and outfitter a mariner might require. However, further down the highway, its truer character was revealed. Cheap lodging houses, music halls, pubs and opium dens replaced the ship's chandlers, and the thrumming sound of sin grew ever more audible. The Ratcliffe Highway had its own identity and economy, driven by the steady influx of sailors who stalked its streets in search of drink and sex. Rousing polka melodies hung in the air, punctuated by the smashing of glass and jaws. The spilling of drink and blood were regular occurrences among its salty visitors. It was in this neighbourhood that Mary Jane washed up. Had it been safe for her to return to the West End... To show her face in Piccadilly or the Haymarket, she might simply have continued in her previous luxurious existence. Instead, she had little choice but to turn eastward. Luckily for
4: her, the east end of London, the Ratcliffe Highway, and the Haymarket were just universes
0: away from each other at this time. If Mary Jane was hiding from her traffickers, they were unlikely to start looking for her in this grim and desolate district. She took up lodgings in the house of Elizabeth Boku, who rented rooms to women who sold sex. How much of her past she revealed to her new madam is unknown. But if Kelly was not Mary Jane's real surname, then it may have been at this point that she adopted it. If her pursuers were hunting for a Welsh woman, it might have been sensible to assume a common Irish name. For Mary Jane, the clientele and practices on the Ratcliffe Highway would have been rather different to those she had been accustomed to in the West End. One social reformer observed the particular protocols of the area.
3: When a ship arrives in the docks, so many of the women as are disengaged go down to the entrance and there and then endeavour to inveigle the seamen. These attachments would last for
0: days. A sailor's chosen girl would...
3: Accompany him hither and thither, always in the neighbourhood, carousing by night and sleeping by day.
0: When a seafarer's purse was empty or his shore leave had ended, there was always the next shipload to greet, unless a replacement could be found in a pub or on the street. More or less noted that women from the Ratcliffe Highway appeared to tout for trade more brazenly than those in the West End or other parts of the city. The demand for commercial sex quite literally swelled with the tide, so that even the police found it difficult to regulate prostitution. Women who sold sex walked the streets openly, without much fear of the authorities. Mary Jane may well have spent her evenings in the public singing rooms. In order to draw on seafaring custom, most of these smoke-filled drinking dens were decorated with a nautical theme, their walls daubed with crude seascapes, anchors, and mermaids, as singers belted out tunes about lovely lasses left ashore. Most of the audience spoke Swedish, Danish, German, Portuguese, Spanish, or French, and didn't understand a word of what was being sung. Still, they were happy to slump on the wooden benches, drink the bar dry, and fondle their girls, until a fight broke out. Perhaps desperate for money, Mary Jane seems to have enlisted Mrs Boku to help her reclaim that missing trunk of expensive dresses which had failed to follow her to Paris. Mary Jane could not have felt easy about returning to a part of town where she was known, and a sense of trepidation must have gnawed at her as she travelled west, with her new procurus for support. It's unlikely that this risky trip paid off. In all probability, Mary Jane's trunk would have been sold off long ago. Worse still, the visit seems to have attracted unwanted attention. For shortly afterwards, a man pitched up on the Ratcliffe Highway seeking Mary Jane and claiming to be her father, although they were almost certainly not related. She seems to have avoided him successfully, but his presence must still have been a source of intense anxiety. Adding to this strain, Mary Jane began quarreling with her landlady. The dispute? Mary Jane's drinking habits. As in the more expensive West End, an evening's entertainment along the Ratcliffe Highway revolved around drink. However, savvy women in the sex trade would tipple with care. Unfamiliar customers could be dangerous. To fill one with booze was like playing Russian roulette. A woman could never predict what sort of client a man would be, once intoxicated. If she was fortunate, he might slip into a stupor. If she was less so, he might beat her senseless. Her best defense was to remain as sober as possible. But drink also offered a convenient escape from a miserable existence. It obliterated the horrors of intimacy with a man who was physically repellent, and it quieted. Even for a short time, feelings of self-loathing, guilt, pain and traumatic memories of violence. Mary Jane was likely to have drunk throughout her career in the sex trade. But after her return from France, her usage became problematic. Mrs Boku's sister-in-law said Mary Jane was... One of the most decent and nicest girls when sober. But she became... Very quarrelsome and abusive when intoxicated. Mrs. Boku would have been accustomed to drinkers. Even so, Mary Jane's indulgence in intoxicants soon made her an unwelcome friend. Mary Jane left, however, she did not go very far. McCarthy's, a nearby establishment, was almost identical to Mrs. Boku's concern, except that its offer of illegal drink and female company was used to lure in unwary sailors and rob them. Sometime between late 1886 and early 1887, a plasterer called Joseph Fleming fell in love with Mary Jane. A construction worker was no match for the rich gentleman who so recently must have swooned for her, but she seems to have returned Fleming's affections. Marriage might even have been discussed. At any rate... Mary Jane left the environs of the docks and moved in with him. But Fleming's powerful protestations of love were no assurance of his kindness. It is said he ill-used Mary Jane, prompting her to uproot once again. But where to go? Nearby was a neighbourhood full of cheap housing and densely populated with people who didn't pry into anyone's past that closely. So packing up the tatters of her once fine wardrobe, Mary Jane moved to the edge of Whitechapel. Surely there she might hide, safe from any pursuers, with murder in mind. Bad Women, The Ripper Told is brought to you by Pushkin Industries and me, Hallie Ribbenhold, and is based on my book, The Five. It was produced and co-written by Ryan Dilley and Alice Fines with help from Pete Norton. Pascal Wise sound designed and mixed the show and composed all the original music. You also heard the voice talents of Ben Crow, Melanie Guttridge, Gemma Saunders, and Rufus Wright. The show also wouldn't have been possible without the work of Mia LaBelle, Jacob Weisberg, Jen Guerra, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Maggie Taylor, Nicole Moreno, Lital Mulad, Eric Sandler, and Daniela Lucan with special thanks to my agents, Sarah Ballard and Ellie Karen.
2: A new True Crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation and the strange events in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts.